Okay, if you guys would please turn your Bible to Luke 11 tonight. Luke 11. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13, uh, which is going to teach us about a great protection that we have in our prayer life with God. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but let's be honest, we're giving our requests to the God of this universe. And the terrifying thought is, what if He actually listens to us, right? Um, We don't often pray for what's eternally best. And so, is there a protection against that? Um, And then also think that, what if God gets tired of our audacity in prayer, as we talked about last week? Is it possible that God might respond by us knocking too often by giving us what's not best? Uh, If we are to, as Christians, confidently and boldly come to the throne of grace then we have to know that there is a protection for our prayers. Protection for our own imperfect prayers and a protection um, that we don't have to worry about God not giving us what is best. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight in Luke 11, 11 through 13. But before we go any further, let's just ask God to teach us and change us as we study His Word tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much that we have this opportunity Uh, to come together as a church to worship you in prayer together as members of one body. Father, we, we thank you for these evenings in the middle of the week as we are engaged in ministry and outreach to the community and co-workers and friends that we get to regather, regroup, and be edified once again by your word and in prayer for each other. Father, we just pray that we would enjoy that refuge tonight and that we would enjoy this act of worship as we give it to you. Pray, Father, that you would guide our, our hearts and our minds. I pray that you would guide my mouth to speak what is true. Father, I pray that you would help us to change in light of what we study tonight, that we might become people of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as we journey through this six-part study in the Gospel of Luke, from Principles on Prayer from the Life of Jesus. We find ourselves tonight in section 4, which is Principles on Prayer from the Mentoring of Jesus. We've looked at three principles so far from these private teaching moments of Christ. The first was the priority of prayer, that it ought to be our first response and not our last resort. We saw, second, the pattern of prayer, that our prayers to the Father ought to be for the increase of His honor and kingdom in terms and in connection to our daily provisions, daily forgiveness, and daily protections. And then third, that we looked at last week, uh, was the persistence of prayer, that we ought to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking for what we need to advance God's kingdom and glory. So that brings us tonight to verses 11 through 13, which teaches us all about the protection of prayer. And we need protection. Uh, I'll never forget one time when I was at college, one of my roommates opened up to me and confessed that he was afraid to pray. He believed that God answered prayer, and that's exactly what he was afraid of. He was afraid of how God might answer his prayers. What if God responded to his prayers, his requests, by giving him what was not best? That's the fear that Jesus addresses in our passage tonight. See, last week we were told by God to have a spirit of persistent, of pious persistence when we pray, to keep on knocking 
and to boldly lay out our case before God on the basis of His person and promises. Ask, Jesus says, and you will receive. Seek, He says, and you will find. Knock, He says, and the door will be open to you. But the question remains, what will you receive? The question remains, what will you find? What will come out of the door when it opens for you? I mean, Jesus just told us a story about a man who knocked on his friend's door in the middle of the night asking for three loaves and who refused to stop making a scene until he got what he needed. Jesus told us it was because of his impudence that he got what he needed. But the question yet remains, how do we know that if that friend had come knocking another night, the door might have been opened and a frying pan comes flying out at his face rather than the loaf of bread he was asking for, right? Because of his impudence, you could say that man would have received something, but not what was best. Is that something that we as Christians need to be concerned of and afraid of? That God might finally get fed up with our pious impertinence and our imperfect prayers and respond vindictively by giving us something harmful in life? The answer is no. God does not handle us or our requests with callous cruelty, but rather with steadfast sympathy. And that's what Jesus is going to teach us tonight. Having shown us, I guess you could say, the substance and the spirit of prayer, Jesus now proceeds to teach us the sympathy of prayer. Every request that we ever make is received and responded to by a Father whose divine heart is bleeding out pure sympathy and love towards all His children. This is our protection in prayer. When we pray, we don't need to be afraid about what we'll receive from the Father. That's what Jesus tells us in verses 11 through 13 of Luke 11. So let's read the conclusion to Jesus' lesson on prayer here from Luke 11. Jesus states, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give instead of a fish a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So I don't have an outline for you tonight because these verses communicate one simple point. Fathers give good gifts to their children. Fathers give good gifts to their children. That's how Jesus concludes His message on prayer. By returning to the issue of paternity he responds with this emphasis when he began he said when you pray say what father and now he returns to the idea of fatherhood in verse 11 he says this what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion the obvious answer is what no one right no father would do this No matter how depraved, even Stalin, who was one of the most demented men who ever lived, though he was unbelievably callous, still gave his own young children what they needed. I mean, Jesus, what Jesus describes here is just horrific. Imagine the scene. Daddy, can I have a fish? Dad says, sure. Uh, He turns around, puts the plate in front of his son, and there's a cobra reared back and ready to strike. Daddy, can I have an egg? Sure, son. He puts the plate in front of his son. The little yellow ball unrolls itself suddenly into a venomous serpent with its tail posed to strike. Any dad here tonight planning on doing that? Not at all. Of course not. It probably never even entered into your wildest imaginations. 
No dad is going to hear his son's requests for food and instead give him in that moment something that will destroy or damage him. And yet, if we were to be honest, that is often what we fear God might do to us. That if I turn my life and my requests and my heart over to Him, He might tell me and He might lead me into some terrible place that will damage me. Now I need to be clear. Some fathers are incredibly heartless and cruel, but they're clear exceptions. And that's Jesus' point here. Fathers love their children. They ask for an egg, right? And we'll give them an omelet. My kids ask for fish, and that'll make me think of, boy, I haven't had smoked salmon in a while with pepper on top and cucumber spread, and oh, let's go do that. And by the way, we haven't gone fishing. Let's go buy a fishing pole. I'll teach you how to fish, son. And that's how a father responds towards his child that he loves. That's what we do. That's what an earthly father would do. And so with that fatherly principle established in your mind, Jesus then in verse 13 argues from the lesser to the greater. He says in verse 13, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So he gives first here the lesser principle. Verse 13, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. First, by the way, what a testimony from the lips of Christ Himself concerning the nature of man. We are fallen, and yet we still possess within us a remnant of the image of God. We're fallen. He says there in verse 13, if you then who are what? Pretty good people. <laughs> That's not what he says. You then who are evil. Apart from redemption, we are evil. That's paneros. In the Greek, it's the same word that's used to describe Satan. Apart from redemption, humanity, because of the fall, is morally wicked and corrupt. Jeremiah testifies to this in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? Wicked. Apart from being made new in Christ, humanity is, as Titus 3, 3 teaches, foolish and disobedient, deceived, slaves to various passions and pleasures. And then listen to this. Living lives full of evil and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's why Romans 3.10 says that no one is righteous, no, not one. And so even, and then even after having our, our hearts transformed by the Spirit, we still have an evil principle working within us, right? That's what we kind of briefly touched on on Sunday morning. Uh, Paul said in Romans 7.18-19, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. If you ever doubt whether mankind is evil, just turn on the news, which I know we all do. Mankind is not inherently good. We are evil, we are broken, we are fallen. And yet, if you also watch the news, you'll realize that we still possess a remnant of the image of God within us. As Jesus says here, if you then who are evil know what? You still know how to good, give good gifts to your children, right? We still know how to do that. Genesis one twenty seven. God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God's character at the very first was imprinted into mankind. And though we've fallen from that glory, that divine reflection still remains and can be seen in us. For example, when an unbelieving parent shows kindness and love for his child. That is a picture of the image of God in man. Ephesians 4.24 tells us that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we put on the new self, which is being created after the likeness of God 
in true righteousness and holiness. So that image, that character of God that we lost in the fall, God is restoring in the lives of His children. And that image of God looks like the Spirit of God. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? So for those of us who have truly trusted in Christ, that divine likeness is present and increasing, and yet it is still very far short of what it needs to be. And so Jesus says, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. If we humans, with all of our sinful shortcomings, still go to great lengths to give good gifts to our children, Jesus makes this point. How much more, and this is an argument from, the again, the lesser to the greater, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, this is God's heart. If a friend will give you what you need when you ask for it, How much more will a father? And not just any earthly father, Jesus is making the point, but a heavenly father. He's expanding on the previous parable he gave. Jesus is showing us the enormous gap so that the answer is screaming out to us this evening. If fathers who are evil and sinful at heart give what is best to their children, how much more will your father who is holy and good give you what is best? If fathers who are imperfect in their love Give what is best to their children. How much more will your Father, who loves you perfectly without any imperfection, give you what is best also? And if fathers who are faulty in their wisdom and don't always know what is best, nevertheless still strive to do what they think is best, then will not your Father, who is perfect in wisdom, do what in His mind and in His perfect will knows what is best? As Luke 18, 7-8 will teach us next week, Will God delay long over them? No, I tell you, He will give it to them speedily. Why? Because God is our Father, who's never done anything but give His children the best. In the parallel teaching from Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? See, Psalms 84 verse 11 says that he withholds no good thing from his children. He holds nothing back. So when you go to God, you can go to him boldly. You can speak to him plainly, and you can know that he as your father will always give you out of his perfect wisdom, understanding, love, and grace. He will always give you what is truly best. So ask. That's Jesus' application. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. That's the point. Pray. Just pray. Do not let this idea of a perfect prayer keep you from praying. You will never utter a perfect prayer in your entire life. Ever. So just pray. Just pray. As Jesus reminds us here, ultimately, God is going to give us what is best. And what is best is what? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. He says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Now we sit there and say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's no big deal, right? Man, back when this was written, the Holy Spirit only came upon those to whom the Lord directly chose. He would cloak them in power from on high as you study the Old Testament. When the Holy Spirit would descend on them in a special way, they had no idea that this Holy Spirit that was with them would soon be in every believer who cries out to Him. 
The Holy Spirit is given to those who ask. Now that's not Jesus saying here, by the way, God will only give you the Holy Spirit, right? God, I want some bread. Well, here's the Holy Spirit. It's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying God will give you everything. Even the Holy Spirit himself. Not only will he give you gifts, he'll go way beyond that, and he'll give you the giver. See, that's, it's, it's one thing to say, right? Think about it. It's one thing to say in a prayer, God, I need strength for the day. I need comfort during this time. I need wisdom and understanding for this moment. And it's entirely another thing to say, God, scratch all of that. Could you just come down and live inside me? Can you imagine that? That's asking a lot, isn't it? For the transcendent, holy God of this universe to come down and take up residence in us who, as Jesus has just said, are evil. You might even say to ask such a thing might be quite uh, impudent, wouldn't you? And yet that's exactly what happens. God demonstrates His infinite love and generosity to us by giving us Himself. We are, as 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you say tonight, I need strength. I don't know if you've realized it, but God has given you the spirit of power. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, to strengthen you in your inner man. Ephesians three sixteen. You might sit here and say, tonight, God, I need comfort. You realize that God has given you the Comforter, John fourteen twenty six. When we need wisdom and understanding, you might say, well, God has given us the Teacher, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, Ephesians 1, 17, whose anointing teaches us everything in God's Word, 1 John 2, 27. You say, well, I need assurance tonight. Do you realize that God seals us with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14? I need victory over and freedom from the power of my sinful flesh where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17 I could go on and on. By the Spirit, we have for each new day life and power, righteousness and sanctification, knowledge and understanding, comfort and peace, joy and hope, strength and endurance, and on and on and on. How do we have all of these things? It's not because God in His mercy has given us gifts. It's because God in His great mercy has given us the giver. The Holy Spirit Himself. We have the very life of God within us. And that is why Jesus is making the point, your Father knows how to give you every good and perfect gift. We know that because He's given us the very best gift of all. He's given us Himself by the Holy Spirit. He'll do more than just give you gifts. He'll give you the giver and Will He not, He who gave you the greatest gift of all, God Himself, surely give you the lesser goods also? Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all good things? God has got your best interest in heart. That is what the Holy Spirit teaches you. He gave you His Son. He gave you His Spirit. He gave you Himself. In fact, He gives Himself freely to anyone who calls on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. And that's why Jesus' application is ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. There is no limit to the answers God will give you. He will even give you Himself. So this is the protection of prayer. So as we step back from this passage before we close it up, 
Do you see how Jesus in Luke 11, verses 1 through 13, is systematically responding to every fear slash excuse that we use to keep us from praying? Right? Well, I don't want to pray because I don't know what to pray about. Well, here's the trellis, an outline that you can follow, Jesus gives us. I'm afraid that I might not approach God the right way tonight and in the right spirit. Don't worry about that. If you're a child of God, ask, seek, knock. I'm afraid of the answers to prayer that God might give me. Don't be. God is your Father who has your best interests at heart. So do you see? Whatever fears are keeping you from praying by yourself or with other believers, Christ directly addresses here. He is truly teaching us and telling us to pray. So God's not like that bothered neighbor, is he? It's not like the guy who will throw a frying pan at your face. He's our Father, who is rich and free, available and generous, loving and compassionate, able and willing to do far more abundantly than all that we could ever ask or think in prayer. In Christ, He's opened the storehouses of heaven, and it's all for His children's needs who believe enough to pray and keep on praying. So that's the end of Jesus' instructions on prayer. Our Master has taught us to pray. May we be faithful and obey tonight.